Good day, listeners. We present to you our podcast, Wounded Hearts, Wounded Churches. We discuss a variety of topics that are important to the church. Examples include sexual abuse, all types of addictions, religious abuse, and recovery. This platform provides counseling sessions, meaningful question and answer, and a counseling continuum. Our co-hosts include Ms. Lolita, Personnel Director, Mrs. Tennille, our Technical Director. We have an impressive array of program contributors. And I'm your host. My name is Prince, founder of Antioch Youth Center, 5013C program, licensed counselor, now retired. So join in this exciting podcast, Wounded Hearts, Wounded Churches, and be a part of the healing process. Tonight, we've got a special guest. She's been here before, had very high numbers, and we thank God for that. Stacey McDonald is a school psychologist. Uh, she, motivational speaking also, too. She served as a pastor for 10 years and has trained ministers and business people. Uh, she has a podcast called The Gospel of Mental Health. Today, we're going to discuss her book, about that subject and also her testimony. So glad to have her here this evening. Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you. If somebody wants to contact you about the book, about what you do, what numbers can they contact you? Simply go to www.thegospelofmentalhealth.org. There you will find all of my social media handles. You can contact me directly from there, uh, whether it's requesting prayer, whether it is to purchase a book as well as the journal or, or anything else. Reach, reach out to me, evangeliststacymcdonald at gmail.com as well. But the one-stop shop is that www.thegospelofmentalhealth.org. Well, I've got a copy of the book, and it's some profound things in there, and it's uh, a good read. Stacey, one of our staff persons, they said, look, can you get her back on and ask her about her testimony, how God saved her? So on page 24 in your book, it talks about God's unconditional love. Is that what helped you to be saved? Tell us about how God saved her. <laughs> All right. All right. So the Lord saved me at 12 years of age. And that was at an all night prayer meeting. And I don't know if people still have those or not anymore, where literally it's all night. You're not stopping to have breakfast. You're not going to sleep at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. The babies, the teenagers, baby, you was going to be there all night long and you were going to be praying. Now, that being said, uh, I entered into an extremely toxic and abusive relationship um, in my 20s. And I lived uh, in the state of Michigan. I was at the end of that relationship in a completely backslidden state. And when I tell you I was sick of church talking about wounded hearts, when I tell you I was sick of church for the decisions that I made, I was sick of church. I was tired of it. I wanted nothing else to do with it. I made up in my mind. Now, we uh, were reared. You did not wear pants, makeup, earrings. You didn't go skating. We never went to prom, things of that nature. Still hadn't done any of those things. Baby, I was determined. I was doing it all. <laughs> mm. I went out, pierced my little ears, scared me half to death, went to the movies. I mean, and, and now that's the that's the simple stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I went deeper and went as deep as I could. I ran 
Call me Jonah. I ran as fast and as far and as hard as I could away from the presence of God, so I thought, away from the love of God, so I thought, away from the power of God, so I thought. But lo and behold, I looked up in the club. (laughs) And more than I had ever seen or felt or experienced the love of God drawing me, the first time I heard him actually call my name Stacy was in a club. And it was as if literally I could feel him drawing me. Now, even at that point, I still not said completely yes. I was still trying to do my own thing, still trying to go my own way. And uh, then I met this uh, young man. And uh, he was the most wonderful young man to this day that I've ever met in my life. I'm going to host a little bit. The most <laughs> handsome young man wow, we. in my life. I mean, just an amazing person. Now, uh, the way that he loved me, it was shocking to me because I did not feel as if I was worthy of love. I mean, I've run away from God. How could you love me? I have turned my back on everything that I knew from an infant on up. How could you love me? Somehow, some way, the way that he loved me and loved my two young children made me realize God has to still love me. Mm. There is no way that God could place somebody in my life this genuine, this honorable, this kind, this, this gentle and not somehow still want something to do with me. God has some has to have something still to want to do with me to place this person in my life. Literally, the love of my now husband is what drew me back. God used it to draw me back to his own love. Mm-hmm. And so here we are today uh, living a wonderful life together. Happy, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But who would have thought it would have happened in that place of brokenness, pain, heartache, confusion, anger, resentment, and bitterness. And yet God used that situation to take a stubborn, hard-headed sheep like myself and say, I love you. I love you unconditionally. It's ironic the way some people can lead us to God and some can lead us away from God. Is that the sheep nature you think the sinners? You know what? The Bible says, my sheep, my, hear, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not hearken. However, <laughs> there are times uh, that sheep wander for one reason or another. And whether or not that wandering is due to us uh, not having the ear for God that we should have because we've allowed ourselves to become distracted. Uh, by the uh, zygos or the spirit of time of the time, or simply being in an abusive place with an mm. abusive voice, uh, you know, that's something that can definitely harden <laughs> your heart and harden your ears to immediately mm. hear from God. On page 98 in your book, it talks about an invitation and it says, come unto me all that are weary. So when you left, were you weary out there? Did, did, did the sin wear a person out? You know what? I wasn't good at it (laughs) because I was so green. Like I literally, we didn't do it. I don't know how to explain it for no, for anyone who's not been there, who's not experienced that culture. So because I will say this, it was the absolute grace of God 
that stopped me from overdosing, that stopped mm-hmm. me from having alcohol poisoning, that stopped me from perhaps being raped. It was the grace of God that covered me in that sin, that covered me during that wilderness time. It was nothing but the grace of God. Did I have fun every now and again? Yes. <laughs> but it, it's unsettling, for instance. When you know that you know that you know that you know, and you're in a club doing stuff you know you ain't got no business doing, all it takes is a loud sound and you're like, it's true. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You know, that's all it takes when you yeah. know the truth. True. You know? True. <laughs> Stacey, you mentioned Mich- Michigan. I'm from Detroit. Were you in the area of Detroit, Saginaw, Flint, were you? I lived in Ypsilanti and Ypsilanti, Detroit. Okay. And Detroit okay. is a whole nother planet. That's true. That's true. You mentioned on chapter seven, some people get full of bitterness and rage. You see, I'm seeing, and of course you're a counselor also too, but I'm seeing a lot of anger with our young people, yes. uh, a lot of rage. Uh, what contributes to that, do you think? I think what contributes to anyone's, whether young or old, bitterness, resentment, anger, and rage is a lack of gratefulness. Mm. It is impossible to be grateful and angry at the same time. It is impossible to be grateful and full of rage at the same time. It is impossible to be grateful and resentful at the same time. And so the reason that many of us suffer from things like anger and rage and bitterness and resentment is because we simply do not have a sense of gratefulness. Gratefulness will stop anger in its tracks. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've heard of the case uh, a couple of weeks ago about the six-year-old that shot uh, the teacher. What are your thoughts on that? He was angry, uh, but at six years old, I just can't imagine that. Your thoughts? My thoughts are that these children are a whole lot more advanced today than perhaps what they have ever been. Now you take that advance in regard to just having somewhat of a street knowledge because of things that children are allowed to view. Uh, there's a desensitization in regard to video games that they're watching, music that they're listening to. These things don't seem to be real life to them. It says if you can kill someone on a video game, then they come right back. They got another life. Why would I care? And so when you take a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old who's been so desensitized that uh, even a gun or a knife and seeing blood all across screens and hearing messages about murder and violence... When that becomes a part of you, it becomes easier to engage in those behaviors. It's almost scary. It really is. Yes. Do we have yes. any questions? Before we go to questions, friend, if you just tuned in, this is Wounded Hearts, Wounded Churches podcast, and we're here for you. If you've been wounded or disenfranchised, we're reaching out to you tonight to let you know that God does love you and you can return. Uh, he's reaching out to you even tonight. So you've not been forgotten about. We have author Stacy tonight, a school psychologist. We're talking about these things, how forgiveness can work in healing. So stay tuned. Any questions for our listeners? Yes, we do. Carrie Ann asked, is there a sin you have to commit? Okay. And that's to our... That's uh, to Yep. Mm-hmm. Is there a, I, I guess I'm not understanding the premise of that question. Is there a sin and that's all cats have to commit? Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm not understanding the, the premise. We all have sin. 
And we all have come short of the glory of God. Uh, I think that sin starts as about as quick as we come out the womb and we start uh, manipulating others and, uh, you know, uh, pretending that we want one thing to get another or behaving a certain way to get something. Um, but as far as that, that question, I need a little bit more context about what that, that meaning is. Okay. Perhaps she will uh, chime in again on that one. You talked about on page 124, hindsight, if I know then what I know now. Expand on that, please. Well, you and I had somewhat of a little bit of a conversation about that, right? In regard to hindsight, if I knew then what I know now, even in regard to parenting. I think perhaps that's everyone's um, testimony when you find yourself in a place of growth, when you find yourself in a place of stability and you look back over your life and you remember when you were blown in the wind, you remember when your life was all over the place. Uh, certainly if hindsight is everything. If I knew then what I know now, everything would be different. Now, would I have learned to trust God the way that I trust God? Would I know him to be all that I know him to be? Probably not, because it takes a storm to know that he's a keeper. It takes a test to know that he's a deliverer. Uh, so that that's the, the meaning of that. You're talking to someone tonight who's been wounded. It may have been a church issue, a family issue, but let's say it was a church issue. What would be your advice to them tonight? Someone who's been wounded. I would say for anyone who has a inner conflict because of something that's happened outside of them, because the reason I say inner conflict is because just because something happens outside of us does not mean that we have to own that thing inside. And so the first thing that I would do for anyone who's had a church conflict, work conflict, a family conflict, is I would look internally. Always start with self. Measure yourself against yourself and start with self. What is it that has caused the conflict? Could it be that the offense that I'm carrying may not have so much even to do with the person, but perhaps it has something to do with the bias that I hold, maybe because of the gender of that person or the color of that person's skin or the position that that person holds. Maybe that person reminds me of someone else who hurt me. Maybe the language that they used would not have necessarily been so felt offensively had I not been through some things in my own childhood that when I heard that word, it triggered something in me. So the first thing that I do, the Bible lets us know, first and foremost, that offenses will come. It's not if, it's when they're coming. But once they do come, I have to figure out, wait a minute, is this really an issue or am I dealing with the fundamental attribution error? I have made something that this person did into their own personal character. And yet when I do the same thing or do something similar, then I uh, attribute it to outside circumstances, extenuating circumstances. It had nothing to do with me. It was because I was having a bad day. It had nothing to do with me. It was because something happened on my job or something else was going on. So always look to self, even if it's a church issue, work issue, family issue, First, look at self, because yourself is the one that when you go to the next church, if you've not dealt with you, then you're going to have the same experiences. So start mm -hmm. with self, then work outward. Or the next job, or the next church, or the next wife, or the next job, or just if you bring it with you, it's, it's, the, the, the it's issue is in here, isn't it? It's I got to find out. It's yeah. true. Any questions from our listeners? Going back to Carrie Ann's original question, I think she's clarifying it. She says, what I'm saying is some people argue that even if they know what they're doing is wrong, they have to do it. Is that true? 
Gotcha. Okay, so uh, Paul, theologians uh, argue about his statement when he says, when I wouldn't do good, evil is always present, right? Now, I want you to think about um, the, the person who is, in regard to sin, think about the person who has an addiction. It may not be something that they necessarily desire to do. How many times have, let's just be honest, how many times, let's, we don't even have to go deep with it. Let's just talk about chocolate. <laughs> uh, fried chicken and I'm vegan. We can go there. Let's talk about carbs. How many times have you told yourself, and I'm on uh, 21 day dare to detox right now. How many times have you told yourself, I'm not going to eat that. That's out of my diet. Not going to do it anymore. I'm going to make sure that I maintain this lifestyle of eating well for this long. That's just food. Now imagine an addiction. Imagine a person with alcoholism and they know they have an issue. They do not want to, but biologically their body is craving something. The person with the nicotine addiction, the person with the heroin addiction. Uh, when you think about addiction, it's not necessarily something that the person wants to do. Their body is literally craving something similar to our bodies craving chocolate or carbs or something like that. So when it comes to that instance, absolutely. Now, in regard to strongholds, that's another story. And anyone who, and let's not get too, too safe, safe to bad that we act like we ain't got no experiences, that you have a stronghold and you know that there is something that is not good for you. You don't want to do that thing anymore. It's a stronghold. And so the Bible lets us know that these things sometimes come out by prayer and fasting. And so there are some things in my life where I literally had to turn my plate over and say, Stacy, you are going to put this, this under subjection, uh, your flesh under subjection. You're going to have to read your word. And baby, you may have to call in some prayer partners with you to ensure that you get victory over this thing. Mm-hmm. And it matters not how long you've been in church or how saved you are, second, third generation, apostolic, Pentecostal, Baptist, whatever. There are some things that can get a hold on us. And we've got to make sure that we get a hold on Jesus so that he can get a hold on it and we can get free from that thing. Any more questions from our listeners? Yes. Mr. 303 wants to know where she can get your book. Absolutely. And so you can get that from any online bookstore, Amazon, um, you name it, as well as at my website, www.thegospelofmentalhealth.org. And on my website, you can also get a hold to the journal, uh, which helps walk you through the healing process in regard to the questions that are in that book. Since the book came up, what do you want people to know about your book? What, What hit the high point? What when you wrote the book, what was the motivation? Let me ask that question first. The motivation was my life experience in regard to uh, what I went through with my dad. And it was not even so much the mental illness of him suffering from schizophrenia. It was the lack of love, the lack of understanding, the lack of compassion that the church showed in regard to that. And so that was the inspiration for writing it. Then the Holy Spirit just got in there with me. (laughs) And we just finished writing those along with some life experiences, scripture, uh, Bible stories to complete a symphony for the people of God, for every believer to let them know that no matter where you are, there is a God who sees you, who loves you and who is drawing you. And so this is to let every reader know that uh, not only does God love you well, but when you're unwell, God loves you. He loves you when you're imperfect. He loves you when you make mistakes. He loves you and he's drawing you. 
Stacey, I want to ask about your dad. Was his schizophrenic, was it uh, severe? Uh, was it uh, certain times or was it just uh, like all the time? It is severe. It's something that he fights with every day. It's something that, except the Lord deliver, he will uh, fight for the rest of his life, which makes him one of the most courageous people that I know, because I could not imagine uh, all the medication that he has to take just to function. And even with that medication, still suffering the way that he does. And I will say, my father is a believer. My father loves Jesus. My father will tell you how he loves Jesus. And yet he struggles the same way a person with cancer will say, I have cancer, but I trust Jesus and I love Jesus. And if God does not heal me, he's still my savior. He's still my deliverer. And he's still going to uh, come back for me one day. And so this is how my father lives his life on a daily basis. Absolutely. It's severe. Without medication, he finds himself in a catatonic state. I have seen him. Oh, it's kind of kind of catatonic state. Kind of. Oh, wow. 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 It's severe. Wow. It's very wow. severe. Wow. Did, did that, did that affect the family in a, in a very deep way? The, again, it wasn't so much with the schizophrenia in the beginning came a lot of abuse um, because when you have schizophrenia, you have those disorganized thoughts, you right. know, uh, behaviors. And so he began to do things that were um, completely not him, irregular. I was singing the song, I keep falling in love with him, falling in love with him over and over again. I learned the song from my dad. He sang mm -hmm. that song in church. I sang that song uh, about four years old. He locked me in a closet. In a dark closet, I can feel that closet. It just takes a thought and it's like you're almost there. Things like that, uh, some physical abuse and some, some other things that happen at a young age. But again, the lack of being able to um, reach out to him to get him support and get him the help that he needs really caused the breakdown in relationship because we just felt like he didn't love us. He hated us. You know, he's got the devil. You know, he's, he's demon possessed. And so that broke our family union completely up. Our time is almost gone. Uh, when I was counseling, uh, Stacy, I found that the majority of the schizophrenia patients thought they were all right. Did your dad feel that way, that he was all right, that y'all had the problem? Or what was what was his persuasion there? I think his thoughts are so disorganized, he didn't know whether he was all right or not all right. He, he urinated in the middle of the living room floor, things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we just go walking. Even today, you may see him just walking, just mm -hmm. walking. So um, I, I don't think he necessarily... At, there, there's so much attached to this story that you, you really is, have yeah. to read that book they, to get to it. They got to get the book. <laughs> you know? So wow. again, they can get that through Amazon and how else? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any online bookstore. Um, of course, and at my website, www.thegospelofmentalhealth.org. Now, I could talk to you all night. Oh, I, you know, I love Prince Moon. I love Sister Zia. <laughs> I, I can talk all night long, but I don't want to go over your yeah, time. Our, so you just let our me know. Our time is gone. In fact, I've <laughs> gone beyond again. Uh, friends, so thank Stacey tonight for joining us. Yes. Our technical director. Our future programs in weeks to come will include Pastor Calvin Foster from Kennesaw, uh, talking about unity and how to maintain that. We're going to go into talking about the marriage issues from courtship to choosing a mate and all those nuances within that structure. We're going to call on our senior staff people, uh, Kenneth Probes, married over 50 plus years, sell a cabin 
married at 22, she's 90 now. So we're here with Preet, but we want to see how they got through those many years. But tonight, Stacy, thank you so much. Enjoyed it very much. Yes. Our technical director, thank you so much. May the Lord bless you. Have a good evening. Thank you so much. Amen. Mm -hmm.